the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thanks for listening. We love it. Uh, the new topic that we are doing is one week old. This is week number two, and we're talking about sin. Rather than ragging on people, rather than cursing the darkness for the lack of preaching on sin in our churches today, I figured, well, shoot, I'll just preach on sin. Now, I know I'm nobody. I got a small audience, but who knows? Maybe somebody will hear something. Maybe somebody will get convicted and they'll personally get free from what they're doing. Praise the Lord. That's how I get on this topic, by the way, God ministering to me. You know, I can't look at other people without God bringing that up in my life. You know, I mean, I can't talk about warnings in the Bible. We talked about warnings against the false and against what's going on in our nation, about the deception. We talked about that for three years, two and a half, three years. And God would always challenge me, make sure you're speaking the Bible. Make sure you're not putting all these truths underneath your own beliefs. Hallelujah. No, these truths form my belief. I put my beliefs underneath these truths. Hallelujah. You don't read the Bible to support your doctrine. You read the Bible to get your doctrine. Amen? So sin, this is part number two, and I'm sure I'm going to say stuff a couple of times as I go through this. You know, I've got certain scriptures that I use to make one point, and then I come back with another point I wish to make, and there's another scripture that I just used. So Don't think I'm getting old and forgetting what I'm doing. (laughs) Anyway, I want to talk today uh, still about sin. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, you know, there's so many different trails or ways that I can go in this. You know, I was going to start hitting sin hard right from the beginning, but God had me give a spiritual background, a spiritual understanding of what sin is, what Christ has done about sin, what sin does to man. And then we'll get into some of this other stuff. Really fabulous, really interesting. For instance, you know, there's so many different aspects to sin. Number one, what sin prevents you from doing? Number two, there are sins of omission. That means you can get in trouble with God for not doing something. And there are sins of commission that you can get in trouble with the Lord for things that you do. So we're going to break all this down. We're going to look at sin from many different angles. Matter of fact, the last scripture we spoke on last week was Romans 3.23. That was leading into the fact that all of sin fallen the short of glory of God. And everybody's a sinner. We got to understand that. There's no favoritism. Uh, we're all guilty. That's just the nature of mankind. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. We spoke about that too, that, that God not only frees you from your sin because your sin is killing you, 
But there's a gift, the gracious gift of eternal life. Remember, Jesus said, I came that you would have life and you would have life more abundantly as opposed to the people that don't know Christ. We call them lost, but in reality, they're the walking dead. Everyone has sinned. Everyone who has ever come into this world, except the Lord Jesus Christ, has sinned and is a sinner. And sin has caused us to come short of the glory of God or the intended purpose of man to manifest the glory of God that is stopped by sin. We have come short of the righteous standard of being God's creation. John Blanchard tells it straight. Sin denies man the power of God in this life and sin denies man the presence of God in the next life. Ooh, that is so good. Some of these guys I never heard of, but they got such great wisdom. One of the current problems in our nation, as well as in our churches, is the refusal of both the nation and the church, let alone to uh, talk about sin, but we don't even address it. We don't tell people what it is. We don't call it out. Uh, We just shy away from the topic completely. People can't get saved without the Holy Ghost convicting them of their sin, and that won't happen without the Holy Ghost gospel preaching people about their sin. The church can't grow without teaching repentance from our sin and proper rebuke from preachers and the word correcting us from our errors. You know, the hellfire and brimstone approach to preaching the gospel that was so prevalent in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, it focused on sin. By the late 60s and going forward, the message changed to the God loves you aspect of Christianity. Both were preached in the extreme, the hellfire message and the God loves you message. They were both preached to the ends that they could go. They were, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were embellished in their preaching by our our leaders. And it really was exceeded the intent of the truth that God had placed in those two sentences. Number one, yes, God loves you. And now it went the extreme thinking that God can't live without you, right? And God loves you. And that's all that we tell people. That is not the gospel message. Nobody gets saved from God loves you. And then on the other aspect, back in the 40s and 50s, the hellfire and brimstone message, we had everybody going to hell. And so the truth is it's neither. It's both of them. It's it's not one or the other. It's both of them together. There's the side of grace that affords us forgiveness for our sin. And there's the side of punishment and judgment when we neglect to repent of our sin. And they're both true and they're both applicable today. Currently, what we have today is a kinder, friendlier, more palatable message coming out of our pulpits. They're accenting to the extreme, the misrepresenting the biblical view of God, of the love of God. We've counterfeited it. You know, the love of God has judgment. The love of God doesn't remove judgment. It's part of the love of God, the judgment of God. I've heard two sermons in the last two days. One of them talked about the fact that God doesn't punish us today. I'm kind of stunned by that because Hebrews 12, 4 through 6 plainly states the fact that as a father, he disciplines us and he punishes us. It's for our good. It says if he doesn't, then we're considered bastards. We don't belong to him. But no, the punishment of God is here. But it's not the punishment for true condemnation for our sin. Christ has dealt with that. But there's still daily rebukes and daily chastisements that we need to go through if we're going to grow and represent Christ accurately. Amen? And then there's also uh, the modern American culture shutting down any mention of sin. It's a word that will soon be eliminated from our vernacular if we do not do something about it, church. They say that, well, 
sin. It's a dirty word, and it's a word that judges. It's a word that makes no allowances for how hard and difficult life is. It's a word that connotates intolerance. It's a condemning word. Therefore, let's remove it from our culture because we're an enlightened culture. We don't condemn anybody. And that's what the church needs to represent better, the fact that we do judge, but it's judgment for correction. The world judges to condemn us, but the church judges to correct us. One has a proper spirit. The other one has an ungodly spirit. But if we do it right, it will always be the truth in love, and it's up to the Holy Spirit of God to do the work. We just preach the truth. Amen? Large churches in our nation refuse to talk about sin. They're even proud of the fact that they don't talk about sin. They think that telling people about sin is piling on, making their lives harder than it already is. Stay away from people that are talking like that. They're not sent from God. They are mouthpieces for Satan. John warned us such teaching would manifest in the church. Matter of fact, it already has. First John one eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's camp there for a minute and really break that down because that is a popular theology nowadays that we don't have our sin. Joseph Prince, in his message about the hyper-grace message, he doesn't call it that, about the grace message, he's taken it to new heights. How's that? (laughs) But he talks about the fact that, okay, you don't need to repent, but just once because all your sins have been paid for, which is true. All your sins which you have committed and will have committed, have already been paid for. That's true. All of that is true, but that does not remove the responsibility of repentance for you. That's why Jesus talked about the fact that with Peter, well, Lord, if my brother sins against me seven times a day, do I need to forgive him seven times? Well, of course you do. Jesus actually told him, you need to forgive him 70 times, seven, 490 times. Now, that does not sound like you only repent once at the new birth and everything is all hunky-dory. That sounds like if you sin on Monday, you need to repent on Monday. If you sin on Tuesday, you need to repent on Tuesday. If you sin at 8 a.m. Wednesday morning, you need to repent 8.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. If you sin again at 9.30, every sin that the Holy Spirit brings to your attention, you need to repent of. That's grace. That's the gospel. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then John said in the Amplified, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude and lead ourselves astray, and the truth, which the gospel presents, is not in us. It does not dwell in our hearts. Now, John wrote this after the resurrection, and he wrote it before the Word of Faith positive confession of faith movement. While attempting to secure our own righteousness in our minds by refusing to acknowledge man's sinful state, we have violated Scripture. Yes, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You walk around the faith people, how you doing? I'm great. I am blessed of God. I cannot be cursed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You get these confessions all day long, and they're true. But The problem is other things are true also. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yes, it is a biblical truth because of what Christ has done. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but we still sin. That's not a contradiction. Both of those statements are true. There's a gospel message in there somewhere. If I had time, I could really go through it, but... Yes, I sin. 
But what Christ has done has made me righteous. And as soon as I repent and confess my sin, which is part of my righteous obligation, my righteous privilege, I get clean again. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, John's writing to the church, by the way. He's writing to born-again believers, spirit-filled born-again believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've just seen in Scripture that, A, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we've just seen in Scripture that we are still sinners, we have sinned, and we've just seen in Scripture that we have the responsibility of repenting of that sin to restore our fellowship with God. Our relationship with Christ is sealed, okay? Outside of our turning our back and denying Him wholly, that salvation is secure. If we think that being made the righteousness of God eliminates sin from our lives, and everyone I'm talking to knows that that is not true, every single one of you still sins. If we think that being made the righteousness of God eliminates sin from our lives, we are wrong and we have been taught incorrectly. The advantage of being made the righteousness of God is that we now have access to God 24-7 through the blood of Jesus. And furthermore, that access will be granted and our relationship, our fellowship will be restored immediately as soon as we pray and confess our sin. That's what Christ's righteousness does for us. We don't have to wait a year like the Jews did. Making a confession about us being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that's fine. But it's meaningless in the face of our sin. If we do nothing about that sin, we must We must still confess and repent in order to continue to maintain and manifest that righteousness. Being made the righteousness of God includes having the indwelling presence of God's Spirit who convicts us of our sin, thereby giving us the opportunity to get clean again. Martin Luther, he wrote this, The recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. I like that. And I agree 100%. You cannot get saved until you deal with your sin. And by dealing with your sin, I don't mean you go to hell and pay the penalty for it. No, Christ did that. I mean you acknowledging that Christ did that, that what you have done is wrong, that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. Matthew 121, Jesus, right? He came to free God's people from their sin. That's what he did. That's your responsibility to acknowledge that. Soren Kierkegaard, I never heard that name before, he says this, Christianity begins with the doctrine of sin. Absolutely. If there wasn't sin, we wouldn't need a Savior. Truth be told, that's what the world is trying to do. If they can eliminate sin from the vocabulary, then guess what? There's no need any longer for a Savior. Because if the Savior came to save us from our sin and we don't acknowledge sin anymore in our culture, well then, never mind Jesus, we don't need you. That's where we're going. You must understand that's where we're heading. Justly, J-U-S-S-E-L-Y, says the doctrine of sin is the foundation of grace. All these truths, I love them very much. They're man's opinions, but these are men that hit the issue of sin right on the head. They didn't hide from it. They dealt with it because that's what Jesus did. He didn't turn around, throw up his hand and say, oh, well, Dad, they sinned. Can't do nothing about it. No, he put it all on the line to free men from their sin. Being the righteousness of God does not eliminate sin from one's life. You've got to understand that. Jesus did not do away with sin, but he broke the power of sin over man's life in Christ. 
being the righteousness of God does not eliminate sin from our lives, but it does give us the right to manifest power over sin by the renewed mind, the indwelling spirit of God, and the application of God's word. Romans 6.6 6 talks about the fact, Romans 6.7, Romans 6.14, 6.18, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, amen. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, yet I still sin. I am not perfect, but neither do I serve sin anymore. I serve the Lord God. And when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and I repent, I get washed, I get cleaned, and I'm back on my feet, eager to do what God's called me to do. Romans 6, 7, for he that is dead in the body, he that is dead to sin is freed from sin. Romans six fourteen: for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. God has broken the power of sin in the life of the believer. And that believer can be anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord today. Romans 6, 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So Romans 6, 6 says, my old man is crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer will serve sin. Romans 6, 18 says, then because I've been made free from sin, I am now free to become the servant of God, of righteousness. It's a wonderful dynamic in play. Don't forget, you're either serving God intentionally of your own free will, or you are serving Satan by default. There's no middle ground there. Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin, I am free from sin, shall not have dominion over me. And now becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That's what Christ has done for us, guys. Our task is in appropriating those promises. Paul acknowledged that he had not completely accessed all those privileges and blessings Christ brought to him, but he promised to persevere in excellence and gain those things that Christ purchased for him. This is great uh, scriptures, Philippians three, ten and 14. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had attained already either, or either already was perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I have apprehended of Christ Jesus, been apprehended of Christ Jesus for. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before me. I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul acknowledged, I'm not complete. I'm not finished. I have not even attained that to which God has appointed me. But I'm going to go there. I'm going to try. I will press toward the mark for the prize of achieving the high calling, of fulfilling God's calling on my life in Christ Jesus. Now, all that's left us saints, because Jesus has defeated sin, has broken the power of sin over our lives, Now we have to deal with Jesus. Jesus is the only way back to God and into the kingdom of heaven. There's no other way. Yet the deceitfulness of sin keeps Jesus at arm's length from most men. Satan is a master and he uses the allure of pleasure to keep man in bondage to his sin. He uses carnal attractions, 
which include promises of power and wealth and material gain, as well as unbridled sexual fulfillment through passion. He uses all that to hide the victory of Christ for mankind. The shame of it all is that, according to Matthew one twenty one, we have already been saved from our sin when Jesus went to the cross. Spurgeon on sin. Let's see, what does Mr. Spurgeon have to say about sin? This is so good. This is intense. Sin drives men mad. Ah, uh, yes. Against their reason, against their best interests, they follow after that which they know is going to destroy them. It is not the nature of sin to remain in a fixed state. Like decaying fruit, it grows more rotten. The man who is bad today will be worse tomorrow. So true. Sin is a thief. It will rob your soul of its life. It will rob God of his glory. Sin is a murderer. It stabbed our father Adam. It slew our purity. And sin is a traitor. It rebels against the king of heaven and earth. Father wasn't willing to put up with any of that. He had a plan to rescue mankind from his sin. You know, the Lord takes sin quite seriously. I wish we could do half of that. First, his divine love for his creation demanded that he deal with sin. Second, his divine hatred for sin had a plan for sin's defeat. And that plan had a name, and that name is Jesus. Look at this. I use this scripture. It's probably the third or fourth time in my second lesson that I'm going to use this scripture. But it's so important. Matthew one twenty one, And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. This, this is the gospel message in its simplest form. It identifies the problem, sin. It names the victim, mankind. It provides the solution, salvation from sin. And it names the Savior, Jesus. That's the gospel message. You don't have to preach anything else if you want to get people saved, Pastor. Don't be scared. Don't change anything. You've got the gospel message right there. Sin destroys his people need salvation from a Savior, Jesus is the Savior. That's it, right there. It reveals the danger from sin as well in the fact that we aren't saved from ourselves. Some have said that. We aren't even saved from hell. Others have said that. We are saved from our sin. The danger to mankind is not global warming. It's not the Democrats. It's not asteroids in the earth. It's not the immigration problem. It's not bad government. The danger to mankind is sin. The danger to mankind that threatens the entire human race's existence is sin. Yes, God sent his only begotten son to pay the penalty and defeat sin on the cross. And good news, that mission was successful. Because of Jesus' perfectly sinless existence, Satan killed a man he had no right to kill because the wages of sin is death. If Satan knew what he was doing, the Bible says he never would have crucified the king of glory. He proved that one could live a sinless life in the face of daily temptation and a fallen world. So then mankind's sin problem has been defeated. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. All we've got to do now is accept the sacrifice, the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf. Sin still exists, though. Back to 1 John 1, 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Sin still exist. Jesus didn't destroy sin, but he did cancel out its power over us. So the Amplified, if we say that we have no sin, refusing to admit that, then we are liars. We have got to come to grips. Sin is a reality. Sin is here. It's present. It will always be here until Christ takes us over to the thousand-year reign in the millennial age, 
and then sin will probably still be there in existence, but the church will be in our glorified bodies. The temptation that comes upon our flesh will have been eliminated because we really won't be having that carnal body. We'll be in our celestial bodies, our glorified bodies. So I say all this, I want to prepare you that you need to face sin. And it's personal. Sin is personal. It's your sin. And you have to deal with it. And thank the Lord, you don't have to deal with it to the extreme. Jesus did that. But you do have to deal with it on a daily basis. Why? Because the temptations are daily. Let me pray that God would wash you from your sin, that you would be convicted by the Holy Spirit of God, that he would cleanse you and restore unto you your righteous state, your fellowship with the Lord God. Father God, wash my brother and sister. Holy Spirit of God, convict them of what they're doing wrong, Father God. Don't condemn. That's not what you're doing now. Convict them of their sin. Cleanse them. Bring them back into sweet fellowship with you, Father God. They are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mold them, Father God. Hold them. Make them know that they're yours forever in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.